Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp and I'm just interrupting you as you listen to whatever it is that you actually want to listen to to tell you about the second series of Middle Please Umpire. Middle Please Umpire is a podcast that I, Miles Jupp, if you weren't concentrating when I first introduced myself only moments ago, that's not a criticism, your thoughts are your own and you must focus them wheresoever you yourself choose, host with Mark Wood, the 95 mile an hour bowling England playing World Cup winning Northumberland hailing cricket lunatic Mark Wood. It's another series of episodes of the two of us talking about cricket and indeed any other stuff that springs to mind both with each other and also with a succession of frankly illustrious guests. We lift the lid on Mark's life as an international sportsman, basically he spends a lot of time icing himself, and take you on a whistle-stop journey through the windmills of his mind. I, a mere fan, listen agog, giggle excitedly and try and draw comparisons with my own rather more mundane existence. All episodes of Middle Please Umpire are available right now from your favourite podcast providers. And welcome to this week's episode of the Spurs Show in association with William Hill, the official betting partner of Tottenham Hotspur. My name's Theo Delaney. I've got three great guests with me. But before I introduce you to them, here's something else I wanted to make you aware of. Makers of premium gaming peripherals, HyperX, are offering UK-based customers 20% off their entire full-price gaming headset range throughout May. Terms and conditions apply, but if you head over to uk.hyperx.com to read the T's and C's and use the discount code SPURS once at the checkout, you can get that discount. And I can tell you, I've got I've got one of those headsets, and it is absolutely excellent. So I recommend you take advantage of this special Spurs show offer. Now, on with business. Let me introduce you to our guests most of us in London, one of us literally on the other side of the world. I'm going to introduce you first, David. I'd like to say thank you very much for getting out of bed in the middle of the night. David Harris, where are you exactly, David? Uh, I'm in Sydney, Australia. It's a pleasure to be back on the Spurs show again. Great to have you back. Chris Slegg is with us. How are you, Chris? Hi, Theo. Yeah, lovely to be here. Love the show. So it's uh, nice to, to come on and make my debut. Oh, well, you're very welcome. And Tom Dean is here. How are you, Tom? I am all right, thanks. I'm sure I'll have a headache after discussing Spurs with you lot for the evening. You haven't just rolled out of bed, have you? No, no, I've been working all day. This is just a, just a natural look. Oh, no, sorry. I wasn't, make, I wasn't making a comment about your pristine appearance. 
Um, guys, there's a lot going on. Not all of it good. We've got a we've got a defeat to discuss. We've got a forthcoming game to discuss. We've got the end of this season, of course, to discuss. We've got a new manager, hopefully, coming in at some point to discuss. And on top of all that, we have a development in the fallout from the ESL story, which is a statement from the club, which we'll come to. I think probably tradition dictates that what we ch- tend to do first is we look back on the most recent fixture, which will get us in the swing of things. And that, of course, was the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday against Leeds United, which didn't go well. We ended up losing 3-1. And by, I mean, I think the consensus was we were pretty well beaten by a better team on the day. Chris, what did you make of it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, d- I can't stand Saturday lunchtime games anyway, because when you, when you lose them, it's just an absolute killer. Yeah, yeah. For the weekend, but yeah, just so deflating because I, I mean, in the end, it doesn't really matter because Chelsea got what what I thought was a surprise result. But but going into the weekend, I've kind of half convinced myself we win this one. If if Chelsea lose, then somehow somehow I don't know how, given how bad it's felt the last few months, that there would still be a chance of top four. But the, obviously, in a minute that game was over, it was that was it, and um, I, I was kind of pleased really that Chelsea won later in the day because it almost made me feel like well, it wouldn't have mattered anyway, but. It's, I mean, it, I know it's an easy thing to say, but yeah, the body language just—it just worries me. It just feels so, just looks so directionless now. It, it just looked like a team going through emotions, and um, you know, I just—I was—I was really surprised by the timing of, of getting rid of Mourinho. I, I kind of sensed that it was probably going to happen in the summer um, to do it just before the, the cup final and to do it when the top four was still a, a bit of a chance. It felt for me like you'd have more of a realistic chance of both those things with. Mourinho in charge and a 29-year-old with no managerial experience. But I kind of hope that you might get this, you know, new manager effect that would, would knock you on it. We kind of felt maybe that we had seen a bit of that in in a couple of games against, let's face it, teams who aren't great. But then, yeah, it comes to, it comes to Saturday and that just all looked like, you know, that we were kidding ourselves that that was ever going to happen. And, yeah, I just it just feels very, very rudderless now. It just feels like we've got a long way, a long way back. And I, I don't quite know where we're, where we're going to start. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know, David, do you think it, it's hardly surprising that if you, as Chris has just said, if you put to get put in a 29-year-old in charge who's got no experience whatsoever for the rest of the season, which we, we have plenty of things to play for, it's not that surprising that they haven't come out super organised and pumped up, is it? It's not surprising at all, but just to Chris's point, I like a Saturday lunchtime kickoff because it was half past nine on a Saturday night. Perfect for you. Which meant a lovely bit of dinner, watched the last ever line of duty, and then uh, watched the game. Unfortunately, it sent me to bed in my usual depressed funk after watching Tottenham. Um, look, I'm not surprised at all. Um, and let's go back to the game at White Hart Lane uh, because Mourinho set us up perfectly, pragmatically. We won 3-0, so we scored three goals in that game. You know, Mason picked the same team as he did against, um, I think it was Sheffield United. Um, But, you know, we know that Leeds are quick. We know that they work with pace. And maybe he should have put a third midfield player in there, not having Lo Celso and Hoiberg in front of the back four. Um, And, you know, it was yet another defensive masterclass masterclass from Messrs. Serge Aurier, um, dire and and really Region's form has really dropped off as well. So for me, the decision to you you get in a trophy winning manager, and that's why you've hired him. And five days before our only chance of winning a trophy this season, 
Enoch decide to get rid of him because the the, the narrative is they don't have to pay him out extra money uh, if they win the trophy. Well, that's putting your finance ahead of your football, which is typical of Enoch's ownership, and then replacing him with the only person in the club, well, Ryan Mason, 29 years old and never managed the first team before. The you know Enix's litany of bad decisions in its 20 years of ownership uh, continues on, as far as I'm concerned. I must admit, I wasn't sorry to le- to see Mourinho go. Although you make a very good point about them doing it for for financial expedient reasons, is is pretty hard to forgive if that was their main motivation. And you can't really think of any other reason for them to do it at that particular moment. But I was relieved to see him walk. But I do think it was an odd decision in retrospect. I mean, I've got nothing negative to say about Ryan Mason. I don't think any Tottenham fan has. He was a a wholehearted player, gave everything, and he's giving everything now. And nobody would blame him for taking it on either. Who who wouldn't? He's Tottenham through and through, and he's been given this opportunity, and he's certainly doing his best. But why did they give it to him and not not, um, Chris... Chris um, Ramsey. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But let, let's not forget the first major decision of Enix's reign was to get rid of gorgeous George Graham two to three weeks before the semi-final with the Goons. So if you remember that, um, I was at that Upton Park game when we beat them two-one or three-two, um, and you know the local population were showing us their coin collection from the stand above into yeah. the away end. <laughs> remember that? Um, yeah. And um, we were in the car driving away from the game, and we all said. If, if Graham beats the Goons in the semi-final at Old Trafford, we, as, as a fan base, have to accept him now as a manager. He'd won us a cup. Mm. Um, and lo and behold, two to three weeks before he went, uh, before the semi-final, we sacked him. Pleat was in for a game. And then Hoddle was in a week before we start. So they've got form for this. So, as I said, nothing surprises me in their decision-making. Yeah, you're making a point there about Chris Powell, yeah. He's, he's um, Chris, yeah, well... I, I agree with that point because obviously he's got managerial experience. But I, I, I think the reason they've done it is because of, of Ryan Mason and have you know having a rapport with the fans. You know, Chris Powell has always been very clearly a Tottenham fan. He's made no secret of that. Even when he did a great, was doing a, a very good job at Charlton, um, lower down the divisions. Um, and he's, he's made no secret of his passion for the club. But fans have seen the passion from Ryan Mason at the club, playing for the club, playing in a League Cup final in 2015. Um, knowing his story as well of what he's been through and being forced to retire. I, I think my hunch is they went for it on that kind of personal human story and a, and a more modern report and direct report. But yeah, when it comes to managerial experience, I mean, it doesn't make any sense to give Mason the job ahead of Chris Powell. And and and, and when we have this wider debate as well about, you know, black, uh, non-white managers not getting enough enough um, chances. And I'm not at all saying that's part of their decision-making, but it, it it doesn't look good when someone with far more experience is is not in the senior role there. Um, but yeah, I, I, was just, I, I was just staggered by the timing of the Mourinho decision. Speaking purely as a fan, as I'm, every, everything I'm doing here is speaking purely as a fan, and I would only report on things completely impartially in my job. But, but as a fan, I wasn't enjoying Mourinho's football. Um, I was kind of hoping that it, it you know, Come the summer, he would probably be moved on because it, it just looked like the team had completely didn't really know what he wanted of them and weren't enjoying whatever it was he was wanting. But but to see Ryan Mason just catapulted into that ahead of what for us is a huge game, right? People can say what they like about the League Cup, but it's the only trophy I've physically gone and seen us win in my life, 1999 and in uh, 2008. I was I was 13 in 1991. I didn't get to go 
to the FA Cup final. Even a club as big as Tottenham don't get many chances to actually win silverware. And Mourinho has occasionally got the better of Pep. You know, we, we've got a fairly decent record against Man City. And I, I can't I can't understand what the reason was to do it at that time. You know, th- there are the rumours that it was a financial thing, but it, it seems perverse in the long run. Uh, you just wonder, did something else happen? Was there a flashpoint with some of the senior players? I mean, that's purely speculation on my part because it just seemed so odd, given how poorly we've been playing for weeks, really, uh, to let it go that far and then before what's going to be one of the biggest games of the season to, to make a decision of that magnitude. Um, it just, I, I can't get, I can't get my head around it still. Um, and on, on the basis of what we've, of what we've seen since, it becomes even more bewildering, really, I think. Tom, was there anything about that game, the Leeds game, that you, you felt was cause for optimism? I mean, not really. If I'm, if I'm completely honest with you, I sort of watched it out of one eye. And as soon as we went one nil down, turned it off, the classic, well, I'm not watching that. Um, turn it back on off a, on a after half time, you know. Okay, you end up crawling straight back to it because got some vague optimism lingering. But yeah, just hardly surprised to see a twenty nine year old manager outfoxed by someone with thirty plus years experience on him. I mean, yeah, yeah, fool to think anything else may may have come out of that that game. I mean, I, I feel sorry for for Ryan Mason because in a way he's been sacrificed, he's been thrown thrown to the walls for. For the purposes of uh, yeah, for, for PR reasons, it's it's. I take a slightly less romantic view on it, maybe maybe than, than Chris and the you know the, the storyline and his his relationship with the club. It just that it just appointing him just feels like a free hit. It's like yeah, he's there's an absolute zero expectation on him for success, is there? Um, and rather than go down the route of of uh, find someone that can offer success, short-term success and, and, you know, guide us for the rest of the season. It very much feels like with Mason that it's a, it's a free hit, you know, um, if he takes a, a 3-1 loss to Leeds, you know, so be it, we move on to the next game. It's not um, ramifications for the club, but, you know, it doesn't feel as, as grave as perhaps making a, you know, big decision. Yeah. It all came, of course, at a time of, of a lot of uh, bad decisions, uh, arguably, by the club. They've, they've, um, they've released a statement. Let's talk about their statement they've released today regarding the European Super League. It's, I'm just going to get it up actually, because there's a couple of bits which I think are interesting. And it's interesting that they've released it now. And I'm not sure, I I, I can't say I'm sure why that is, uh, but I have some suspicions. What's interesting about it is they've finally decided to respond to all the criticism about the ESL a lot later than most of their, most of the other clubs. And they've said, uh, they've said in this statement, it's important to underline that we entered the ESL with the expectation that the format rules and structures would evolve through dialogue with key parties, namely the Premier League. So what they're saying is, no, 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 you've got it wrong. We were, we, 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 it wouldn't have been like that. It would have been different. Uh, then they're saying, including crucially fans, and it should never have been conveyed with certainty that it was in that it was in fact when it was in fact a framework agreement. That's all it was. It was just a consultation going forward. So basically, trying to say, oh no, 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 it wouldn't have been like that anyway. It wouldn't have been like that. Sorry, but you know, it was you've all got it. You've all misunderstood. We should have challenged and reconsidered the annual access system. They say, okay, so they admit that that should have been challenged because um, that's a, that's at the heart of all the objections. Is the lack of relegation and everything. And then they say, we wholeheartedly regret that we involved the club and that legal process 
itself meant we were unable to consult our fans early on. We apologise unreservedly. Doesn't sound like an unreserved apology at all. It sounds like the opposite of that kind of apology. Um, And they're also, you know, they're saying it wasn't our fault. Anyway, it was a legal thing that didn't allow us to do that. We wanted to do it, but we couldn't. It was a legal thing. Well, they signed up for the legal thing, didn't they? So it seems very defensive. It seems like, to me, a mealy-mouthed, half-hearted apology, self-serving apology. I don't know. What do you think, guys? There's there's other stuff we can discuss, but that's the first thing that I picked out of it. If you're apologising three weeks after the event, typically it would suggest you're not sorry, right? (laughs) I think so. I mean, to to me, it seems uh, almost not even a very good job of... uh, It's not very... Surprisingly bad PR, I think. What do you think, Chris? Mm, Maybe not surprisingly. Um, (laughs) um, Liverpool Man United uh, apologised, didn't they, within 48 hours, directly to the fans. And uh, this has taken a long time. And as you say, it comes across a bit like, yeah... Well, it comes across a lot like, yeah, you've got it wrong. Now... I actually don't buy into this remote romantic um, vision that fan power is what overturned this plan. I think that those clubs, and again, I don't have anything to, to firmly back this up, but I feel that those clubs felt that they had the government buying into this plan on the Friday night ahead of that weekend. And I think they were surprised that come Monday, um, the government was very much against the plan. Now, I don't know quite how that happened, but once it was clear they weren't going to have the backing of the powers that be in this country, it became a lot more difficult, well, impossible, to go ahead with the plan. And, it, you know, I, I don't think, it, sadly, I, I just think, you know, fans were forgotten about a very, very long time ago. And the fact that they got to that point of pressing that button on that joint statement from those 12 clubs across Europe on that Sunday night, uh, you know, I, I I do not believe that within two days fans had convinced them to change their mind. I think an insurmountable obstacle uh, was thrown in front of them, which made them realise it was not going to happen in this way. Let's face it, a European Super League type is still probably an inevitability. The UEFA's own reformed Champions League is one step towards it with these kind of two two wild cards really not not just based on what teams have done in the season but on the previous three or five I've forgotten the details but two clubs you know two super clubs if they miss out are going to kind of have a, a second chance of getting in um so we're, we're heading down that route anyway um through UEFA um and I, I don't feel that fan power is is behind that, that U-turn I, I I um a chap called I think it's Kevin Hills isn't it he's just briefly put on Twitter um, about an hour ago, Daniel Levy's statement in the programme just after he took over, you know, very much talking about how he is a fan, not a diehard fan, he's very honest about that, but talking about how he has very much the fans' interests at heart and he knows what it is to be a fan. Well, the last couple of years, I've never felt so detached from the club as a fan, some of the things that have gone on. And I, I think that maybe it's an age thing, you know, maybe younger fans don't kind of think of the politics behind the club so much as, you know, what's going on the pitch and the excitement of that. And I completely get that. That's why I was like in my teens and probably early twenties, but a lot of what's gone on over this last 18 months or so, um, it does, it leaves a sour taste. And I, I, I don't know how that bridge is going to be rebuilt. Um, 
yeah, but yeah, I probably said enough on that. And I've... No, I mean, that's what we're here for. And it's interesting to hear your views. I, I think it's interesting what you say about the government, because there was talk that, that Johnson and others knew it was happening and sort of had implied that they would be behind it. It was only, it was the, gu- so in some, in an indirect way, maybe it was the fans, because it was the fans' reaction that spooked the government. And the government, all governments are obviously to some degree populist and the, uh, and they, 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 I mean, although none of them watch football, that's for sure. But they are they know the size and the power of football and they know that it is something that they don't it's not a good idea to alienate a whole nation's worth of football fans. Um so that, that possibly they did a bit of a vault fast and then uh, and then that's yeah, you might be right, that might be the thing that spooked the clubs. Charlie Whelan, who comes on this show sometimes, who is a, a very experienced spin doctor, worked a lot when Labour in power at the very highest levels. He called this statement from the club, he, he got he he sent me a message earlier. He said, that is pathetic, but predictable from the club. Fortunately, most fans will see this for what it is. And I think so far the reaction on social media uh, backs that up. Here's another bit that I thought was interesting in the statement. They say, we are disappointed that the board of the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust has not yet met with the club. The THST, with whom we have worked and indeed promoted for 20 years, has called for the resignations of the executive board over the ESL. And then they've said, individuals who have lived and breathed this club for the best part of two decades. <laughs> I mean, and then they've said, we've offered on several occasions to meet, the, meet board to board and discuss an open agenda, excluding a change of club ownership and the resignation of the board. Our door remains open on this basis. I'm really surprised that they have... They have uh, chosen to name the trust they didn't need to uh, name the trust in their statement the people on the trust we had people from the trust come on here same way as they go up to Tottenham and have board-to-board meetings they go on all the other main podcasts as well they've been working on the trust for 20 years Uh, they work some of them have been working there for a very long time and when I say work it's not really work because they don't get paid any money at all those people and they've had they've made They've achieved lots for the fans over the years. They've held the club to account best they can, but they've sat in meetings with them and been misled over and over again. And they've taken stick for going and sitting in meetings with them. If they'd have just strolled into the club in the light of this ESL business and had another meeting with them, you can imagine the stick they would have got from the fans. Theo, what, what the trust what the trust do and what the trusts of all football clubs do is, is phenomenal. Voluntary yeah. stuff with the interest Voluntary, of, exactly. with, with the interest of fans purely at their heart. That's the only reason supporters' trust exists, right? Yeah. To see some of the abuse those guys get on Twitter as well. Yeah. Misplaced abuse from people who don't even understand what they're doing. And yes, to see the club name them in this statement, I was, I mean, I was taken aback by that. It's unnecessary. It's, it, it, I was, I was, yeah, I was surprised to see that. Really surprised to see that. it suggests to me that they're that they're scared. They're a little bit scared. I mean, there's a there's a film being made, uh, which I'll give the details for before the end. Of, there's a film being made by lots of fans. Lots of influential fans are involved in getting a lot of fans together to appear in a film, which is going to take the form, as I understand it, uh, of an open letter to the board. And I think the trust may, might be not behind it. But I think they'll certainly be. They may be supportive of it. Maybe one of the groups. Uh, that are that are involved in the making of that film, and I think that 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 call to arms has been out for a few days now, and I think maybe the club have found out about it and are are frankly scared about it. 
the bit that I thought was, as I said, David, the bit that amused me in a way, because I, I do have a slightly warped sense of humour, is when they say they've called for the resignations of the executive board individuals who have lived and breathed this club for the best part of two decades. That's fine. Yes, you've lived and breathed it because it's your job. Daniel Levy gets paid £7 million a year, last I heard. And that's fine as well. If that's the going rate and he can justify that, fine. Good luck to him. But to suggest <laughs> that they, they're hurt because they've lived and breathed this club for the best part of two decades, they're all getting, many of the people at the top of that club are getting paid seven-figure salaries. The people on this supporters trust are getting paid nothing you know so that kind of I mean when Charlie Whelan says it's pathetic I mean I think he may well have been thinking particularly about that David what do you make of it um I think that the uh, team should run out to a new theme song next year which is a cover of Elton John's sorry seems to be the hardest word (laughs) um because I think uh, look as far as I feel about Enoch, uh, to quote um another guest on our on the Spurs show Jar Wobbles old bandmate Johnny Rotten at the last Sex Pistols gig, he said, ever get the feeling you've been cheated? And I feel, I have been feeling this about Enoch for donkey's years, okay? And the statement that they make where they throw uh, the trust who are volunteers, who, as you said, gets a lot of abuse online about how they work is an absolute disgrace. But it's not surprising because Teflon Dan has always got someone to throw under the bus. Look at the Amazon um, documentary. Who was thrown under the bus on that? Danny Rose. Now, whatever we might want to say about Danny Rose, Danny Rose called us all out about two or three years ago. If you remember the season that we finished second, we just finished at White Hart Lane. There was that magnificent last day at White Hart Lane, the great film that Theo, you put together with Kenneth Branagh. Some, you know, it was fantastic. Okay. We finished second in the league. We had a great team. Um, and Danny Rose was on Five Live um, just after the season ended. He'd been injured um, and he basically said, look, the, play, the club have got to play, pay the players more money. He said the market for fullbacks is very hot that year because City needed basically to buy four fullbacks. And he, he, was, he called it out then and that the players wanted to get a pay rise. Um, Carl Walker, I think Paul Miller was on the Spurs show a few weeks ago and said, Paul Miller said, if Walker said, if he'd have got paid over 100 grand a week, although he wanted to return back up north, he'd have stayed at Tottenham. So that's just Enoch to a T because they didn't want to pay anyone over 100 grand a week at the time because Kane wasn't on 100 grand a week and they had to do that. Um, and let's look at the footballing decision. Carl Walker's replaced in the squad by Serge Aurier. That just says it all. And Carl Walker goes on to win uh, trophies. He could win a Champions League medal and a, and a league medal this season. Uh, my feeling is with Daniel Levy is that um, it's always said about the link between with the six biggest play, players in the uh, in the league. So we should be finishing six. There's a correlation there, which I've never understood. Um, but he's the highest paid chairman. He he paid a bonus of three three and a half million for the completion of the stadium, which was late and over budget. Um, I think it's time for Enoch to sell up. And I know that a common theme on here is, well, who, who could possibly buy them? I'm heartened by the fact that supporters groups are rallying and, and there's activism now in that we have to obviously has to be done in a legal way and things like that. I appreciate I'm, I live out here in, in Sydney. Um, I don't get to go back as much as I'd like to see the games. But, you know, I've been going since I was six years old. Uh, family and friends, we've all lived this through generations of being Tottenham supporters. And, and I've had enough of Enoch. They are 
this club um, has become nothing more than a private equity urban redevelopment project. They bought the club off sugar for an initial 21 million in 2000. They will look to stand to make 2 billion. And our net spend on players, uh, 17th in the Premier League over the last five years, that's less than Mike Ashley. So that's enough of my Enoch rant. Apologies. <laughs> well, you make some some very resonant points. And, and I think some of us over the years have tried to make excuses for the board. And let, I, I mean, in fairness to the board, okay, we have the best stadium in the world. We have the best training ground in the world. You can say that's part of their property play, and it probably is. But what I've always thought about Levy and the board and, and the owners is their business ambitions for the most part, or, or very often coincide with our ambitions as fans. We want to have the best stadium in the world. We want the best training ground in the world. Above all, we want to succeed on the pitch and watch good football. And in fact, they're cute enough to know that you have to succeed on the pitch to make a success of a football club and to build its value. And at times when we have done well, uh, the Redknapp team springs to mind and obviously the Pochettino team, you've thought this is actually going quite well because we're, go- we're doing well on the pitch, which suits them and it suits us. But suddenly now you, 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 you listen to that charge sheet there and you, you read that statement and you think of recent decisions, the, the ESL and, the, uh, and the, the Ryan Mason decision as well. And you think enough is enough, don't you? I don't think... It is, sorry, you can probably hear my young kids getting excitable in the background now. Apologies for that. But um, I don't think, I mean, it sounds converse to what I've been saying. I don't actually think they're bad owners. When you look at what bad football club owners can do, literally taking clubs out of existence or, you know, actual criminals we've seen in charge of some clubs, right? I, they're, they're not bad owners. I What I don't think they've done is take us to, I think they kind of got lucky with Pochettino. I think Pochettino is the only reason really that we are, kind of classed as a you know a big club a club capable yeah. of of being in the ESL yes they built a brilliant stadium but it ha- if it hadn't been for Pochettino lifting that team ab- above its real level consistently for 3 4 years i think we would still be looked at as, as a team that is sixth or seventh rather than a team that managed to be second third fourth okay i think they got lucky with that appointment and i didn't think Pochettino should have been manager so i'm not accusing them of that they they got lucky it wasn't their first choice and he did something absolutely phenomenal um, but if you look at Enix reign without Pochettino there, we're kind of a mid-table club, really. Sixth, seventh at best, upper mid-table club. And because they have run it prudently, and, and that isn't necessarily a bad thing. I took pride, actually, out of what Pochettino was doing. What David mentioned there, clubs, and they, you know the stats do back it up. You usually finish pretty much where you spend on wages. Tottenham should have been spent finishing sixth or seventh. Under Pochettino, they were outperforming. I think there's something beautiful about that. I think if, if Poch had managed to win the league, the Premier League, when we should have been finishing fifth or sixth, that would have been one of the greatest stories in the Premier League era. Honestly, that's as good as what Leicester did because Leicester, it was great, but it was kind of a bit of a flash in the pan. Okay, they're back, they're back there now. But what Pochettino did was organically grow a team and you know he did it under that ownership so we have to credit them for that and they've also built this this marvelous new stadium which we would all have to agree is marvelous but they haven't ever gone that extra step if they had just backed Poch I think in that summer either the summer before the Champions League final or after if they'd have just stretched a little more at that point we'd still have him we'd have refreshed the team we saw what happened with Man City Last year, inevitably, you dip a bit playing playing with that intensity, even if it's under Guardiola. 
they dipped a bit. They're back there now. Liverpool this season, they've kind of crashed and burned, okay, because it's four or five years of complete intensity under Klopp. They'll come again because they've got the, the funds to reinvest and they, I'm sure he'll still be there. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's still going to be there. Poch, Poch wanted to go as far as I could see. I don't necessarily blame Enoch that he was sacked as such. What I do blame him for is not backing him to enable him to be able to stay. He was burnt out. The team were burnt out. And, and if they had just put a little bit more towards the team in those crucial two summers, I think we would be among the elite. But then we do have to take on board, maybe the timing of all of this was so unfortunate to be building a, a £1 billion stadium. You know, I always wish Potts had arrived five years earlier or five years later. The fact that he arrived when we're building that stadium, when we're moving, when we're having to spend a season and more at Wembley, so unfortunate. Uh, the hurdles of that for anyway, but, but but going back to Mo, more recently, yes, the statements that the owners have been coming out with, and, and, and the real detachment they seem to have now from from the soul, which Levy himself mentions in that program article of twenty one years ago when they took over, it doesn't feel like they know what the heart and the soul of this club is anymore. Yeah, but I, I don't think they are terrible owners. No, I, I agree. I don't think it's a, it's a black and white thing. And at times they've seemed like very good owners compared to others. And certainly, you know, in terms of some of their achievements, which will which will be a, a hell of a legacy if and when they do go. They conclude this just before we take a break. I think it's interesting how they conclude their statement. They say, be assured, we are absolutely clear that the heartbeat of the club is success on the pitch and our fans. It's important now to get behind Ryan and the team as we look to finish the season as strongly as possible and strive to retain a European spot. It's like, now, now, settle down. Let's all cheer the team on. Anyway, let's take a quick break. We're back now. I want to discuss because we don't want to get too political on this podcast. And uh, I feel like we've, I feel like we've been reasonably fair and balanced. But let's talk about the the next manager of Tottenham Hotspur, and let's look at the let's look at the odds. This, I mean, these odds are crazy because there, there are no obvious front runners, and it's not like there's even a small group of front runners. It just seems to be wide open this thing. And in the last few days, the latest favourite, and he's only two to one, so it's not like he's nailed on and someone's someone's found something out, is Simone Inzaghi, the Lazio manager. Then it goes Potter at Brighton, Rogers at Leicester, Scott Parker, the Wolves manager, Santos, Conte, who's, there was some sort of rumour went round a few days ago that he was going to jump shipper into, just won the, the league in Italy and come to us. Ten Hag still in the betting, even though he signed a new contract. Uh, Rangnick, the uh, German, who I think is very interesting, is is next. And uh, Benitez is in the running as well. But it seems wide open. Tom, who would you like to see and who do you think we're most likely to see? Uh, who would I like to see? Someone who plays nice football. The Gasparini, maybe. The Atalanta manager. Um, I listened to the last episode where we discussed the, um, the Rangnick possibility. Um, and I'm sold. <laughs> yeah. Sounds... Yeah. Um, sounds like yeah, a sort of a match made in heaven. The more um, the more you think about it, that would be I think I would suit us down to a T. Um, do you say Inzaghi is what now? The he's the favourite. He's the favourite. Uh, I mean, Lazio are very much like the Tottenham of Italy. In that, uh, I have I have relatives in Rome who are Lazio fans. I used to go and see Lazio when Gaza played for him and everything. And they are, although they have won the league in my lifetime a couple of times, <laughs> unlike Tottenham, but they. 
Yeah, they this they're the sort of team that will generally finish sixth or seventh, yeah. and occasionally have a little bit of a spurt and have some good players. So I'm not really sure why he's he's suddenly so favoured. And then the well, and then the obvious one is obviously Brendan Rodgers, but um, I don't know where you go from where you go from there with him. Was supposedly what I said no. So um, although he's not can't exactly not in a position to be saying yes, is he? So um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can. I can almost see us. I stood there with Scott Parker. Now, if you're asking who I who is like who is actually probably realistically front runner out of that group, I don't know. His ties to the club, and you've got to think that he'll be available. Um, I I don't I don't want to see that at all. But if out of all of the names you just listed, out of if I sort of close my eyes and think about who I can see on the touchline next season, yeah. You know, it will probably be him. David, any thoughts on that? Who you think and who, you, who you'd like and who you think it might be? Uh, look, first, I just want to say, Tom, uh, you've got a very impressive collection of Spurs shirts in the background behind you. So yeah. Obviously, no one could see that. I'm very, that's very impressive. They're not all Spurs shirts, by the way. I'm burn, burning them uh, week by week, so down to about... <laughs> <laughs> just, keeping, just keeping the best ones. <laughs> okay, so what I would like to see is... okay. First of all, in terms of the footballing decisions that Levy makes and the managers he points over the years, um, and also the fact that Steve Hitchens said at the club, I'm not filled with hope. Um, what I would like to see is a director of football set up so that, first of all, Levy just says to the director of football, you've got uh, £10 and a packet of crisps, that's your budget for the year, and then the director of football goes out. He's responsible for all player recruitment, all contract, re- everything to the players, training, development, the lot. That's with a director of football who is a football person and has football qualifications as not a businessman, budget given by Enoch. Um, so I would like to see uh, Ragnick as the director of football or a left-field choice, a guy called Lee Congerton, who's the head of recruitment at Leicester. I mean, I would just take the whole Leicester scouting recruitment system, pay the money for that and bring him into the club because what they've done over the last two to three years, even when they've sold like your Chilwells and their Maguires, they reinvest that money really wisely and, and have got a very good framework for Rodgers to be a success in. And I know that Congerton worked with Rodgers at Celtic. Um, in terms of manager, um, he won't get it and the betting shows it, but there's two choices. One is I think Benitez. Um, now everyone's going to go, the football's pragmatic, the football's boring, et cetera, et cetera. Look, he had still had Stevie G and Torres thriving in that Liverpool team. Um, he's experienced. Um, he's won trophies. He's still got his family, I think, near Liverpool. Um, and he knows the Premier League inside out. I mean, and he's used to working with a tight-fisted owner because he's worked with Mike Ashley. What Levy won't like about him is that Benitez can be political. You know, he did um, manoeuvre against those two old American owners at Liverpool that reminded me of the two guys from Trading Places. Um he obviously had his run-ins of Ashley and he's got an opinion which Levy may not like, but I'd like to see Benitez or failing which I'd have Ragnick as the director of football or Congerton and I'd probably look at, if we're going to get a young manager and hoping for a potch effect, I'd go with Graham Potter. Um, Eddie Howe took Bournemouth down. He didn't spend the money wisely. Scott Parker, I think it's too early. And again, his objective of the season was to keep them up. He's failed to do that. Potter's kept them up. I was messaging a Brighton fan who's a mate of mine during the week. Says he plays good football. They just need some decent strikers. So it looks like we're going to go for a, a potch type appointment and hope it comes good. I think it's Potter. Chris, 
66 to 1 and the betting is Mike Lee's preference, Emma Hayes. What do you think about that? Can't see it happening, but I mean, she is phenomenal what she's done um, with Chelsea. Chelsea women who are in the Champions League final on Sunday could become only the second British club to win it after Arsenal back in 2007. Don't want to spend too much time talking about Chelsea and Arsenal's success mm, um, yeah. on this uh, programme. But obviously earlier in the season, she was linked with um, AFC Wimbledon in League One. She said at the she she said at the point at that time they wouldn't have enough money um, to get. Her. Now she she kind of when she was asked about that again she 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 said it, no money in the world would entice her away from from what she has built there and she's been there for a long time and she's feeling the benefit she's feeling the benefit of continuity and she said it at the start of the season um, but she's a Spurs fan she's a big Spurs fan and, yeah um, absolutely she's been on this show yeah <laughs> okay. Well, she, um, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> she got offered it, then I think she'd find very, very hard to say no to it. But obviously the odds show um, that that's massively unlikely to happen. But I I could well see her becoming the first female manager to move into the men's game at, at a high level. Um, you know, whether that would be straight into the Premier League, I'm not so sure, but I could see that happening in future. Um, when it comes to looking at the odds right in front of me here in the, in the top six, you know, Simone and Zaggy at the top of it. And, and I don't understand the logic of it. And, and therefore, it kind of makes me think there's something in it. I don't quite get it. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. Lazio yeah. finishing fourth last season, getting into the Champions League. And they, I think they narrowly missed out a couple of years before. I think they were level on points with the top four, but missed out on the head-to-head, which is how they do it in Italy rather than goal difference. Um, but no Premier League experience. He won the Italian Cup. And it feels odd. And it feels odd to see him at the top of that list, which makes you just think... Is there a reason behind it? I mean, when I look at the, I, I don't think it would happen, but I, I think Brendan Rodgers of those favourites would be my preferred choice because I think, you know, to take Liverpool to second place and they were so close to winning it, to see what he's done with Leicester, obviously he has success at Celtic. I know that's kind of a notch down if you look at the league as a whole from what we would consider the, the top leagues. But he knows the Premier League inside out. I like the way he plays. I, I'd love to see him. How I don't think that Tottenham is a, is a, would be seen right now as a step up for him. I think it would be seen as a step across. Yeah. But if, yeah. they, if Leicester fall away, then it might it might feel like more worth doing. But then we're kind of in a position where we're kind of celebrating his failure as such, aren't we? If he then, if Leicester fall out of the um, the top four. But I, I don't think he would be enticed away right now. And I, I do think Leicester are going to cling on to the top four. And I think of that top six, okay, Inzaghi, I, I don't think would be a sensible choice personally. Scott Parker, I don't feel as done enough, although I can see why there's promise um, in what he has done at Fulham, bringing them back up, and obviously the odds were always going to be against them. Graham Potter, look, I think he's done a really good job with Brighton, and I don't think you can knock that. And I think when we got Poch, he had done a really good job with Southampton, and I would never have envisaged um, what he went on to do with Tottenham. And I know Alistair Gold made the point on on Football.London that um, Potter is well regarded by some of the players at Tottenham. I don't know which players those are. Uh, Next on the list is Rodgers. I said, I don't think it will happen. Then Wolves manager, Nuno Espirito Santo. Again, he's not had a great season, but I think what he's done at that club and Tottenham is definitely a step up and offers him greater resources, what he might be able to do with the team. And then you've got Antonio Conte, who I think, you know, he has proved himself in the Premier League. He has won the title with Chelsea. He won Serie A three times with Juventus. You know, on that list, I think he's, he's the right kind of pedigree, someone who has had success in the Premier League um, sort of the realistic candidates there. Um, yeah, I, I kind of, I don't get the Inzaghi logic, which does hint that there might be something in it. 
And I think the most achievable would well would certainly be Graham Potter. Of the, of the realistic ones that, as I've said, I don't think Brendan Rodgers would go for it right now. I would probably, of that top six, taking Rodgers out of it, I'd go for Conte, Antonio Conte. Yeah, I mean, Conte, you could say Conte won the league with Chelsea, but he did it with, I mean, Chelsea's budget is so huge compared to us. But, you know, then he went to Inter Milan, who hadn't won the league for years and did it. So, yeah, so I mean, his, his credentials are difficult to um, to beat on this list, aren't they? And in this situation. But whether he's interested, I don't know. I don't know where that rumour came from, just like we don't know where the Inzaghi rumour came from. If, you, if you've just gone to Inter Milan and won the league, why would you necessarily want to go to bloody Tottenham? I mean... Very true. I think I think the Conte thing's a contract negotiation with, with Milan. Okay, so he's using it to get more money, maybe. Yeah, possibly, yeah. If you want to see those odds, of course, go to William Hill, where you can find them all. William Hill, by the way, are quoting Tottenham to qualify for the Champions League now at 28 to 1. I mean, I've given up on that personally. I don't know about anyone else. The Europa League qualification, we're 2 to 1. And to finish outside the top six, we are 11 to 4 on. So uh, as usual, the bookmakers, usually the story is always in the odds when you go to William Hill. It tells you all you need to know about where we are. We'll talk about um, odds for the upcoming Wolves game. Uh, well, let's talk about that upcoming Wolves game. That is the next thing on our agenda in terms of the uh, fixture list at the weekend. I, Wolves have had, like you just said, uh, Chris, they've had a disappointing season. When they first came up, they looked like a really, really decent side. They looked very well organised. They had a great w- a way of playing. But of course, they had they were they lost their centre forward very early on in the season, and they didn't have anyone to replace him. And they they bought a forward, but he was only eighteen silver, and so he's they were asking a bit much for him to suddenly become a, a phenomenon season one at that age. Do you think we can get a result over at uh, Wolves, Tom? You like to think so when you're on paper? Yeah. <laughs> you say that <laughs> say that pretty much every game. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We've got we've got previous against them in the last couple of years. I feel like we lose like 3-2. We've been undone. But I think I would I would have thought that seem to remember Raul Jimenez would have scored, you know, one, two or all three of, of those goals or at least had a big hand in them. So yeah, I said without a striker, um and with you know the attacking threat that we've got, you'd you'd like to think that we will get a result, but we'll probably have to score twice to do that because clean sheets are scarce and look ever increasingly unlikely each time team steps out on the pitch. So yeah, I'd like to think so, but I certainly won't be um certainly won't be visiting uh big bookies to, to put money on it, I don't think. We played them earlier in the season, of course, at a time when we were going through that terrible slump of just scoring and then we're going back and all standing in the penalty area, hoping not to score, not that the other team wouldn't score and then the other, te- other team scores late. That's what, as I recall, that's one of those games was the game at Wolves where exactly that happened. In fact, we very uh, nearly lost the game, if I remember rightly. Do you think he'll try and do you think he'll continue with this kind of three up front and a slightly lightweight midfield or do you think he might change things, Chris? I think I think there'll be changes after what happened at the weekend, and, and you know, as we said, it is a kind of a bit of a free hit for for Ryan Mason as well, isn't it? At the moment, so he he'd kind of be silly not to not to change things up. But um, yeah, one of my last memories of the real world was going and, and seeing us lose at home to Wolves last season when we were two one up and we we lost three two, and then it, I think a few weeks, I think there was the Norwich game, wasn't there, in the FA Cup after that where we lost on penalties. But um, it's kind of one of my last recollections it was just 
the world slowly falling apart as Tottenham threw away a lead against Wolves and then lost on penalties to Norwich and then Eric Dyer waded into the stands to, <laughs> to uh, remonstrate with fans. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then what a strange night. And then within a few days, the, the whole world as we knew it had changed. And, um, yeah. you know, yeah. I was... I was lucky enough to to get a ticket in the ballot for the Arsenal game actually when 2000 fans were there oh, and yeah. just, even then just it was so great to be back and have a bit of normality and and the fans there that day made a great a great noise and it is brilliant that some will be back in there you know 10,000 for the Villa game next Wednesday but I yeah I mean two home games left Wolves Villa at home Leicester away you know just please just just give us something to 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 make us happy heading into the summer we've got to win those home games surely we've got to be We've got to beat Wolves. We've got we've got to beat Villa, and uh, I just I just hope that the players. You know, you always feel it as a fan so much, and you just think, do the players look back at that game on Saturday and just just realise still what it means? And it's even harder as a fan base when when no one's in the stadium and no one can kind of get that strength of feeling across that um, we need some positivity here. And I, I just hope that the the players find it in themselves to to end this season as that statement we've seen earlier today from from the club will prove us prove it to us you know really prove it to us every single one this has been obviously football's a very very small part of the bigger problems going on in the world but it's seen such a bleak bleak time for everyone just go out there and end this season as well as you can it's been a really tough time to follow this club for reasons on the pitch and off with some of the decisions made please back up that's that the words in that statement and go out there and give us something all to be proud of finish as high up the league as you possibly can. Yeah. Uh, do you think, David, one of the striking things that he's done, Ryan Mason, selection-wise, is that he has ditched, unceremoniously ditched Ndombele, and he has brought back uh, Deli Ali. Do you think Deli Ali's done enough to justify that uh, decision? Look, he showed flashes of it on the weekend, um, and it was his his pass was maybe a little bit fortunate that got to Son for the, for the goal. Um, but, you know, the narrative about Deli Ali is that I think his performances over the last two seasons have been poor. Um, since since the World Cup, um, he had hamstring issues. Um, he's kind of seen Son usurp him as really Kane's strike partner. I always thought that um, Deli Ali and uh, Harry Kane was a bit like, um, and I'm, now I'm showing my age here, Keegan and, and Brooking for the England team and the way they combined. Um, and I think um, you look at you look at him, He's in a situation now where, I mean, the whole narrative about Mourinho casting him out into the exile. Let's not forget when Mourinho turned up, he made that joke, is, is Deli Ali's brother playing? And we actually saw an uptick of form from him and he got goals and assists when Mourinho started. I just think that he is tailed off over the last two years. You look at someone like Jesse Lingard, where people saying, well, maybe we should get him on loan. I thought that was a... I didn't agree with that at all. I thought his form's tailed off, but he's had an absolute resurgence at uh, West Ham. And I think Ali needs needs um, needs to move on, I'm afraid. I mean, what I'd like to see is after his uh, defensive masterclass that he showed at Ellen Road on Saturday is Eric Dyer replaced by Rodon for the rest of the season. I don't understand why Rodon's been... He's not even on the bench. If you can accuse Ryan Mason of anything, it might be that he's picking his mates because I, I agree with you. Rodon and Ndombele look on form, taken across the season and recently, whichever way you look at it, it makes more sense to play Rod- Rodon. And um, and Ndombele, who's had a decent season. I mean, he, he had a 
he's had some bad games, but I mean, he's on the whole, he's the sort of player who can, t- who can turn a game, isn't he? And I think, you know, I wouldn't have thought that Delhi's done enough. I'm going to tell you the odds now, some some sample odds. To beat Wolves, we're two to one on. Uh, to win and both teams to score, for us to win and both teams to score, 23 to 10. And Spurs to win by two or more, five to four. And then before I ask you for predictions, gentlemen, and, and I'm going to just tell you that, oh, go to William Hill anyway to get those odds. They're our partners. They support us. Uh, and if you haven't already, download the app uh, and you can get all of these and you can get enhanced prices in the build-up to kick off, by the way, for premium content, including a daily news show, ex-players interviews, original documentary series on Spurs. Go to patreon.com forward slash Spurs show. It costs from around 50 pence a week and loads of good stuff there. Good wholesome Tottenham stuff. Uh, the Spurs Show live event on May the 25th uh, will be a real in-person thing. We're so excited. It's been a long time since we've done that with a live audience. We'll expect you to come over, David, from Sydney for this. And uh, you can sign up, season.spursshow.net. You can get season tickets and you can get tickets for that event. And our, our guest that night will be Coity and Dean Austin. I will fly halfway around the world to see Dean Austin. Absolutely. I'll do two weeks in uh Hotel quarantine back in Sydney just to see ah. Dean Austin again. David, I knew that Dean Austin would be enough to get you back. I knew it. Dean Austin and Paul Coy. Actually, Dean Austin, is, well, he was there for a long time. He was there throughout the grim 90s, and he will have a lot of stories, that's for sure. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so, what else do I need to say? Next week's guests are Matt Creeley, Carl Jones, and Richard Cracknell. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and leave us to review on iTunes. I wanted to tell you about that film I mentioned earlier. I've got the flyer in front of me. Now, this film is lots and lots of fans. Some of them influential figures are behind this, as I understand it. And they've issued this flyer. So I'll read it out to you and we'll put it on our social. I've got it on my Twitter. Wanted Spurs fans to appear in our open letter to the board film. We will be filming Wednesday, the 19th of May, 2021 in North London. We need as many fans as possible. Make your voice heard and play your part in safeguarding the future of Tottenham Hotspur. To find out more, email filmingtottenham at gmail.com. Filmingtottenham at gmail.com. Come on, you Spurs. That's what it says. I think there are good people behind that. And I'll be, I'm going to go along and, join in i think it's worth it uh and i think it's important to stress this isn't a war we said earlier we don't think we've got the worst board in the world or that they're you know they're evil or anything like that we just think there have been some missteps recently and we need to take steps to ensure that these kind of uh decisions are avoided going forward the sydney judges did did you want to disagree with any of that no no not so i was just waving hello to chris's daughter ah, i thought you were gonna say i thought you were gonna say they are evil <laughs> my three-year-old girl my three-year-old girl Rosie has just burst into the study because she needs to go to bed but she's got a lifetime of Tottenham misery ahead of her I'm welcome sure. to the club Rosie welcome <laughs> Rosie welcome Rosie I've got daughters whose lives I've ruined with Tottenham Hotspur as well so I, I feel your pain and they do certainly uh, I think we've come to the end but do, do try and get involved in that film and if not I mean at least email and find out about it and see what you think and if you think it's a good thing I do spread the word because uh, it's important that this dialogue continues I've sent them an email so let's see what happens great great okay all right guys I think we've covered everything I'd like to thank thanks a lot Tom for coming thanks Chris great to have you aboard thanks David thanks Rosie 
Thank you, Rosie. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Rosie. <laughs> bye, bye. Bye. bye thank and, you. Uh, and uh, she's waving. All that I have uh, left to say. This is Theo Delaney signing off in London, saying, "Come on, you Spurs." This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at spurshow.net. Sports Social Podcast Network.